Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to the O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing. I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff. So congratulations on your success, Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. What is up, Michael? What's up? How are we doing? Not too bad. So you're in the middle of a uh, Knoxville ice storm right now? Yeah, well, uh, Nashville. We live we live oh. just below Nashville, but yeah, it's it's nasty. Wow. Yeah, my brother just moved to Nashville as an aspiring musician, 18 years oh, yeah? old. He's having a blast. He, he lives like right on the strip too, so. So cool. Uh, what is he, like, what type of music? Ooh, he is our family, not me specifically, but our family is big jam band people. So like Dave Matthews band, Fish, kind of that neck of the woods. Nice. I'm more rock and roll, like okay. have always been that way. And I'm kind of like the black sheep of the family when it comes to music. But he's huge, like almost cultish when it comes to Dave Matthews. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of those. Is there? Uh, puts on a great concert, man. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Dave fan for sure. Yeah, that was the last concert I went to before everything went down with the pandemic. And I, I got to admit, I'm like, all right, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's really, really He's good. better live than he is in studio. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, taking time out. I won't take too much of your time here. Uh, I was listening to an interview that you did over the summer, I think, kind of talking about, you know, you know, humanizing uh, the game of baseball when you, you talk about, like, stepping away from things and, like, getting out of your own head in a sense because, you know, as a baseball player, as a catcher especially, you know, uh, you're dealing with so many different things, wearing so many different hats. Like, for you to kind of just jump right into it, you know, what were some of, like, the early um, factors for you as a young child, like, pursuing sports or whatever it was, whether it's as an athlete or just as a human being? How were you able to kind of mold that mentality of, you know, like checking yourself at the door, like there's the human aspect of things and then there's the athlete aspect of things. Were you always a self-motivated person or was there something else, like a specific event that lit a fire under you? What was it? No, I think God wove me that way in the womb, Mm -hmm. um, to be honest. And, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about um, like genetics and genetical like traumas and different things like that. Like, but like just through life, you know, the way my mom was raised and her life was really, really tough. Um, she had, by I guess the worldly standards, she may have had the worst life you could possibly think of. Mm. Um, it should be a book and an inspirational story to every human being on the planet, especially women. And my dad had a tough life too. And, you know, those two kind of came together completely different backgrounds 
but very similar. And they dealt with things so differently. And I had a mixture of those personalities, but I had more of my mom. My mom was self-motivator because she had to be, um, she was a lover. Uh, she put up a barrier that, you know, almost happy go lucky all the time. She didn't face things. So, you know, as life went on, I had to learn to deal with things on my own because I was never taught how to deal with them. Um, so a lot of it was dealt with in the womb. I, I always say that I slid out head first and I was ready to catch immediately out of the womb. And, you know, I had ADD, had two learning disabilities. So I was strong-willed, went to anger management as a kid, which cracks people up because I'm relatively a nice guy most of the time, or so they say. So there's a lot of things that went on in life that kind of led into, you know, who I was and kind of how I was molded. But a lot of it was out of like just necessity, you know, they didn't really adapt to, you know, how I needed to learn. So I had to figure it out. I had to process things differently. Um, I couldn't do like, uh, like hook on phonics to learn how to uh, spell. I had to read differently because sometimes it would jumble all together. So like I had to process things different. It was harder. I hated it, but I was so strong willed when people said I couldn't or I wouldn't, or I was dumb. It put a fire under me and it kind of played out into my career, you know, and it, Ultimately, I think is what made me successful. And there's some barriers that held me back as well. Cause I think it was my greatest gift and my worst nightmare all, all rolled into one. Oh yeah. And when you're trying to learn yourself in real time, it's very, very hard, especially as a child, but I had a great childhood. Um, every shortcoming I'm, I feel blessed for because it's a chance for me to learn and grow. It's made me who I am today. Yeah, I mean, you look at, or I guess you can, like, listen to other people's perspectives on how they grew up. Like, if you were, like, built up in, like, a nice home, like, not, like, necessarily rich family, not necessarily poor family, but, like, you had, you were grateful for everything that you had. Like, a lot of people either sit back and relax, or there's people who are just, again, wired differently. They see things differently and are more motivated than others, you know, like it's all depending on how your brain is wired in that sense. At what age did you go to anger management? Was that like adolescence years or was it more of just like early on, like just trying to figure out life, like you said, and just going through periods of life where you're just really frustrated? Um, I really don't know. I blocked out a lot of it, uh, <laughs> but the age I was, I was uh, seven, eight. Um, and like when I say I don't remember it, my memory of it is from my mom telling me about it. And then wow. I've actually seen the paperwork now. Um, I, I learned all of it when I was 24 um, and I got the paperwork. You know, me and my wife are moving into a condo and we just got married at 23 and I'm cleaning out all my stuff and I grab all of the you know paperwork that my mom's always had. And it was the first time I learned a lot of it. So I, I was literally reading what the doctor uh, had said, and that kind of opened my eyes. Like, man, I was tough, wow. but I wasn't tough in the sense of like reckless and everything. I was just super strong-willed. Like, if yeah. I had my mind on something and you tried to like get in the way, it wasn't good. Right. So I kind of think of it as like a cartoon of the Tasmanian Devil for about three years. And my mom said it was very short-lived with a lot of those doctors we saw. Once I started like going all in with like sports, they just kept me busy and I kind of put all my energy there and I'd crash. So I got it all out and uh, I have a nephew that I learned I had 2011, part of my mom's long story, but um, he has a lot of the same issues and they put him in jujitsu and soccer and it's made him excel. He's like calmed down. He's not getting in trouble and all those things. So like, you know, I always tell people, like, stay busy. Oh, yeah. If you have time, and that was my biggest fear with the pandemic, is, like, when you have time, you over-process, you overthink, your perspective usually goes the wrong direction because you're not filling yourself full of good and you're not growing as a human, which we always need to be doing. So, you know, it was very fearful when that happened. Even more outside of the actual disease, it was more about, you know, the people aspect, like every human being needs that interaction and needs to be like thriving the best they possibly can where they're at. But last thing on this is it made me look at people and say, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And I've tried to do that my entire life. So like, for example, I'm a Christian. 
but there's not one human being that is an atheist that I don't want to sit down and talk with for a long time because I want to understand them. I want to understand their beliefs and whether it justifies mine more or it makes me question. That is a plus for me. Yeah. Because it's going to make me a better person. It's going to convict me in my actual values and my principles for life. It's going to create a strong, sturdy foundation. And I try to use that with everything I do, whether it's mentoring now, AT&T, whatever it is, because I think that's what it's all about is, you know, you should be asking as many questions as possible and always trying to debunk your beliefs. Oh yeah. Having that curiosity is key. Like you said, like you being the Christian that you are and at the same time, like looking at an atheist and not like cutting them off being like, okay, like I'm curious, like, why do you feel this way? What's your perspective on things? Like you both have an opportunity to grow and learn things from both sides, like from an educational standpoint and to your credit too, like what you were alluding to with your nephew, kind of like taking like channeling some of those certain like anger things and channeling them into jujitsu or soccer. People couldn't like when this whole pandemic hit at first, like all gyms closed down. Like if that was your one way of channeling things, like it was very difficult to try and, you know, bottle all of that stuff up. But I find it again, very fascinating that you kind of just erased that part um, from your memory in a sense. Why do you think that is like, why do you think that like you didn't have like an inkling of remembrance when it came to your own experiences with that early on? Um, my family didn't deal with trauma. Yeah. So like, um, I don't think I was allowed to, and I didn't know any better. And, you know, as I've grown and, um, my wife is super cerebral. She's one of the smartest people I know. And she questioned a lot of things to make me better as we grew. We've been together 17 years now. And like, you know, I, the learning disabilities wouldn't let me speak in front of people and, I'm on AT&T Sportsnet. You can't write that story. Right. I'm on TV for a living. I I do podcasts. I just did an interview this morning. I just got off the phone with a guy uh, that I talked to for another podcast, and it ended up not being a podcast, just be about mentoring in life. And those are things that I couldn't, like, I couldn't have drawn up, you know? And it always blows people's mind, like, what? You didn't speak in front of people? Mm-mm, I hated it. I wasn't a talker. I was quiet. I was probably like a little scary at times because I didn't say much and always had a straight face. And that's how my dad was. And he didn't show me a lot of emotions. So that's kind of like, you know, you kind of take those characteristics from your family. And, but I had someone that loved me a lot and helped pull out the best parts of me. And it helped me overcome a lot of things. And my personality went at it a hundred miles an hour. Cause I'm ADD out the wazoo and I'm very high, high strong. And I like, being busy. So I ran with it and it was fun. And I wanted to do it more and more and more to try to get better at it. How early on did you realize that? Cause again, like as a baseball player, uh, not only as a catcher, but as a hitter, like you mentioned, like going through the motions, going through the fundamentals of hitting, uh, like you were saying, like whether it's like you have a hitch in your swing or like you're going through a bad slump and you're trying to figure things out. And all of a sudden, the mental mind games pop up, you know, you're, you're in your head. And like you mentioned, you know, trying to step away from baseball entirely, like trying to get out of your head in that sense. Like when you do step back into the plate, your mind is refreshed and you're ready to go. How early on did you kind of figure that out playing wise? Like, were there some frustrations at the plate and you were kind of like, man, I don't know what to do. Things are really like starting to pick up in a long way. And I'm, things are starting to build up in my head and escalating to the point where it's like, if this isn't even fun. Um, it took a long time to find the non-fun part. Yeah. Uh, because I was so enthralled in it. I I didn't really like truly fail until I was in college. I was a freshman. Um, I had 169 and like I'd never not hit. And like I had a better GPA than my batting average, which is, you know, kind of funny to me, you know, because I wasn't supposed to do that either. Right. Uh, So I made the Dean's list and I hit 169. It should have been maybe the opposite, but anyways, uh, that was the moment I I looked at it and I was like, I'm running myself ragged trying to figure this out. And what did it for me is I went to summer bowl and a guy, you know, saw some potential, I guess. And he grabbed a hold of me and he just like took me to a hitting facility outside of the summer bowl. He didn't have to do this. He didn't charge me and we talked for the first hour 
And then we hit for like 15 minutes. That night I went to the game and hit a homer. And then I caught the first two games. Then I ended up playing third all summer. My coach was pissed um, because he wanted me to be a catcher the next year at school. But like that gave me like that joy back in the game. I wasn't putting the pressure on myself. Ended up having a great summer. And it, it was just really good. It was really the first time other than moving to college that I was literally on my own. I was living with a host family. So I was outside my own. And I think every time a new challenge came in, it brought back perspective. And that's how it started. And then as you know, life went on, my wife would always tell me, hey, enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. You know, especially when I got to Pro Bowl, because it's always about top prospects, you know, who's ahead of you, who's not. And like, even if you don't want to be involved in it, people just keep talking about it constantly. And you just can't get away from it. So if you don't have a way to combat that or free your mind from it, it can eat you alive. How often are you able to kind of remind yourself of this? Like, especially like, because again, you were in the minor leagues for nine years and the minor leagues, obviously it's its own animal, its own entity, like very gruesome. You know, from what I hear, I have no experience. You have much better experience than me, but obviously like it's a grind, right? Like you're constantly going from city to city, uh, bus trip after bus trip with the guys and sleeping situations, eating situations, all, you know, big question marks. Like how often were you able to remind yourself, or I guess in a way, like what did you do to constantly remind yourself like in a routine sort of thing to say like, okay, like at the end of the day, there's a, a greater good that's on the horizon for me. Uh, it came in a different package all the time for me. Um, I played better with, uh, anger or um, sadness, like things that wouldn't like build up your, um, mm-hmm. like for me, build up my like stressors, I guess, if that makes sense. Like if I, if I was just in a good, like good mood, felt great, I played terrible. Usually. Like, cause I, I almost got overexcited, like a puppy that's got a new toy. Right. You know? like, I didn't like playing, you know, all jazzed up. So, you know, when, Tragic things happened in my life. I took off and I didn't notice that until after I was probably done playing, but like, you know, some of the best stretches are when perspective really hit home. So that was one way it was wrapped up in a terrible box. And then other ways was that like, uh, looking back, Jacqueline, my wife was really good about getting me away, you know, going to the grand Canyon when I'm in the fall league for a day and she drove Hey, take some time, sleep, relax. And like, even when I didn't want to do it, she was like, come on, let's go. Like you need to do this. And you know, it got us, you know, into a lot of different places. We had a lot of fun. We got to see a lot of different things. And sometimes we forget that even now after I'm done playing to take the like time to enjoy certain things and just relax, reflect on, you know, things you've done, things you've accomplished because a lot of times you're on to the next thing. You're on the next thing, you know, you, you're an all-star in one league and you're already thinking about three leagues ahead instead of just going, Oh, like embrace this moment, enjoy right now. And then we can move forward because this moment's not going to be here later on. It's gone. Right. So it's, it's, it's all about like finding that right present at the right moment. And the last thing I would say is like uh, serving was my greatest gift to perspective in real time. Like if I could have just, been a little bit more like Jesus daily, I would have been set. Because when I was thinking about others constantly, it's a Navy SEAL approach. Like, where's my buddy? That's the first thing they say when danger hits. They look for their friend. And that's what they're taught because love is the greatest um, successor, I guess. It's, it's, yeah. it's what brings you ultimate success. And I feel like serving is, you know, what you show from love. So, you know, some of my best years looking back, I'm like, man, I don't even think I thought about my swing. No wonder I hit so well because I was so concerned about all these debuts I was catching and all these guys that I was writing player plans for. And that was a joy for me. And I wish I would have done that better, but you know, you learn as you go, I guess. Do you think it was more so your experiences, you know, both on and off the field with everything that you've gone through in your life that molded your faith? Or do you think it was, or were you, you know, taught from a young age and was it more of like the teaching style of it? Um, no, I, the only reason I liked church as a kid was the Easter egg hunt. Um, 
and I wore a fun hat and, you know, everything else I just remember was like, oh, go to church. My best friend would go like every now and then we would go, we wouldn't be consistent, right. but he'd be asleep snoring and I'd be watching, trying to like not run around like a squirrel. Uh, and it wasn't really till uh, I actually met a, it was like my first real girlfriend. She was older than me and she took me to a youth group and church was different. It was, it was like, like we were talking about Dave Matthews, right? It's first time contemporary Christian music. I was like, oh, this is kind of like, you know, acoustic guitar, like, you know, they were going kind of off tempo, doing different things. I'm like, man, this is cool. So I didn't see it as like, like being a Christian or I just saw it as being with some like good people, good music. And they, you know, seem to have a lot of fun. So like it kind of became a thing Then I started playing basketball with those guys and a seed was planted. And I didn't realize over the next four or five years that seeds just kept getting, you know, watered. A little bit of nourishment here, a little bit of nourishment there, until finally it just kind of bloomed out of me. And I was at a game in Sevier County in the middle of nowhere. It's right in the middle of Smoky Mountains, kind of cool place. And I just walked out. I just had this, like, burning feeling in my gut. I, I always say that's the Holy, Holy Ghost. Uh, Jack loves when I say that because it makes me sound like a Southern Baptist. But, like, I just felt the Holy Spirit just kind of grab a hold of me. And I didn't know then what it was. I was like, I'm just going to go over here, like, kind of calm down. I feel like my heart's racing. Like, I don't know what was going on. And I realized it's an euphoria feeling that you get when, you know, you have something, like, um, I'm trying to think, like, exceptional happen to you. Mm -hmm. So it happens actually through your brain. It's so cool, like, when you put all the science stuff together with, like, the way God created us. But I was having that exact thing, you know, heart racing, butterflies in my stomach, and I'm like, the JV team's playing. Like, what is going on? Like, like there's nothing exciting going on around here. There's no one here. So I walked off and I asked God to. I remembered that little seed, and I remembered when they told me the prayer, and that's what I did. And I walked away. My first bat, I hit a homer, and I was like, man, thanks. Like, is this how it's going to be all the time? Thanks, man. I think I struck out the next of that. So. I got humbled real quick, but right. that's kind of how it all, I mean, then, you know, hindsight, there's a lot in between, but like, it was just being around like good people and it could have easily gone the opposite way. So I had two sets of friends, mm-hmm. I had friends that were into no good, but like you said, staying busy, putting my energy in a better place was something that really helped me because baseball was my everything. And when I mean every, it was everything. I wanted to wake up baseball, sleep baseball, Eat, but it didn't matter all the time. And if I didn't have that, I could have easily made that baseball a drug or something it shouldn't have been because I saw it all at an early age and I saw both sides, but I had no desire because of that strong will and that energy towards something I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat. Like when you say like you could have either gone, you know, group A over here not necessarily toxic human beings, but like you're not necessarily going to grow at the same time or it could have been really toxic human beings. I don't know. It's like that for a lot of people. And then you have uh, a community that you know, like, oh man, everybody gets along. Everybody learns from each other. Everybody's growing. Like you said, like plant that seed and it just continues to grow. You know, you mentioned some of those, you know, aspects of life to kind of like get away from baseball. Like you said, you, you ate, breathe, slept baseball all the time. What are now some of the things that you enjoy outside of the game, or at least, you know, during your playing days that you kind of utilize to get away from pl- the playing days of baseball? Well, this is one thing I like to do. I, I love talking oh, baseball, yeah. but also like, I don't think it's intertwined with life enough. Like what you're doing is, you know, the way you feel on an everyday basis can affect you in a positive way and a negative way on the field. Yeah. It's literally that way in everything in life. So like when you meet someone, you don't know where they're at. Like you don't have any clue what happened before we got on this computer. Right. right. I could have literally been outside fighting a dragon and came in and they're like, Hey man, what's up? And if I could play that well with my face and not show my emotions, like that's wild. But then at some point that's going to catch up to me. And if someone isn't willing to just see me where I'm at, they're like, oh, come on, suck it up, man, blah, blah, blah. Then that's the reality I'm going to create in my mind. And then it's like you can't 
hold on to that forever. You're eventually just going to go boom and you're going to feel like a failure because that's what you were told forever and ever and ever. So I, I just think like you have to slow down and enjoy life in different ways. And I'm a guy that, you know, I go all in too often, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that like my real joy is um, helping others. Like I love serving. I love working with kids. I probably enjoy the grind of, you know, a business, uh, the weight room, even my playing days. Like I probably enjoyed the off season more than I did the actual season, which people think I'm nuts, but like I loved getting like down in the muck and trying to come out cleaner. And I still love that, but I like doing it with other people and trying to help them maximize their potential. That brings me incredible joy. It's one of the founding principles in the Bible. Um, I mean, Jesus was love and he went and served everyone. So I try to, you know, play that in my mind, but it, it kind of comes naturally. It's something that was hardwired into me. I think it's um, fun. So like it's taken me to hiking, mountain biking, um, reading, Bible studies, you know, leadership conferences and all these different things. And it's created a lot of different joys for me, but I realized that most of my joys come from doing with someone I care about. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that's hard to teach. Like you have to have that inner instinct to have that mentality. And like you said, like it's an excellent trait to have as a coach, especially for you, you know, like teaching people, whether it's adults, young kids, because I'm sure you had coaches just like how I had coaches in little league where it was just kind of like, like you said, suck it up, be a man. Like they, <laughs> they, they were like, Condition. Come on, little Johnny, let's go. Yeah. And yeah. some of it's good, right? It, 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 it creates a fire in you, like if you weren't necessarily motivated that day or whatever. But at the same time, like you said, like you don't know everybody's current situation. You don't know what's going to necessarily motivate them at the end of the day, right? So how have you brought that kind of like into coaching when you're – because, again, when it comes to a bunch of different players, you have a ton of different personalities you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. How are you able to kind of navigate that – uh, from a coaching style, getting in the head of each individual player and kind of connecting with them in that sense. I I try to love them first. Yeah. And I try to let them know that, like, I don't expect anything out of them except to, you know, give me, you know, good attitude, good effort, and I'll give you probably more than you'll give me, you know, and that's sometimes really a default button for me. Like I pour in and pour in and pour in because I want to give every kid what I didn't have, mm -hmm. you know, like, and some kids can handle it. And some kids are like, Oh no, Oh no. Sensory overload. Calm down, calm down. And I've kind of learned to balance that and I'm, I'm still working on it, but you know, it's just saying, Hey, you know, how are you today? Like what's going on? Like, what are you looking to do? What are the goals you have set for yourself in the short term and the long term? And then kind of have a good idea of the background I'm getting into. Like, like what school, like I do some practices with a private school in Nashville and I work with some kids around here and I've done some camps here recently now that things are starting to open up. And I go off what I'm seeing a lot of times. Like I'll, I'll go in with a plan and then I see that emotion. I see them looking at their coach for affirmation constantly. I'm like, what's the deal there? And now I've gotten to the point where like I trust my instincts and I tell them what they need to hear. Maybe not what they want to hear sometimes. And it's hurt them at, at points. I've, I've literally been like sitting with kids that are at college and they're crying to me because I told them the truth, but it ended up being better because I'm not necessarily, I, I, I think it's awesome if they make it to the major leagues and I've worked with kids and I've mentored kids that, have literally gone all the way up the ladder into the big leagues. And I got to be a part of that process because I got to watch them. But like, that doesn't mean as much to me as like what type of man they are or what type of woman they are. If it's a softball girl, that's what matters. Like what kind of impact and ripple are they going to create with their life from the, the character they created from the values they learn and the principles that they instill in their everyday life and that they can hopefully pass on to someone else because that's what really matters. Oh yeah. I mean, in a way, and everybody says this, like when you're 
coaching, whether you're coaching or you're a business owner, the CEO of anything, like you're working for those that you're trying to help. Like you're working for your players, your employees, like they're not working for you. Like as a leader, you need to be the one that leads by example, uh, which uh, I know for me personally, like, I don't think I got that from, you know, having like your fathers as your coaches in rec ball when you were five years old, you know, like when you get older and you go to the club level, you have like actual, like if you're fortunate enough to actually be, um, uh, a player for like a former professional athlete who's now a club team coach, which um, I was fortunate enough. Like you actually learn stuff that isn't from, again, like your dad just breathing down your neck and telling you that you suck and trying to like <laughs> build a man out of you. you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but you know, like you were saying like that, that, that is a, a key factor in not only creating that relationship in the time being with your players, but like you said, like the ripple effect, like, will that react in them learning from these values and, you know, paying it forward or will they be disgruntled and stubborn or whatever? Cause like, again, you're dealing with all these different personalities. Some kids are going to get it. Some kids aren't. Have you had those experiences? Yeah. Like I, I definitely don't know, know it all. And like, I've owned my mistakes. Like I was a kid that, you know, had plenty of them, obviously, you know, learning disabilities, anger management, ADD, you know, always being told I'm dumb and, you know, never making it very far in the spelling bee, which is always kind of funny to me. Um, but I try, like, like I say, like, I, I don't know what a kid's going through. I don't know where he's at. Um, a lot of times their reality of where they're at and what they want to do aren't even close. So like, they're looking through this tunnel vision. And I'm like, let's get on Twitter for 10 minutes and let's look at what other kids are doing. And like you bring them in and you say, Hey, look, we're in Tennessee. Yeah. You're competing with the world. And especially now, like kids from Puerto Rico are coming to school. They're taking scholarships. They're coming from Latin America now to, to actually go to school before they go to the draft because the way that they've, shifted everything in, in, in pro bowl. Like they're not just coming over. And I think it's awesome. Like, I think the more competition, the better. I think it's a really good thing to, you know, try to, you know, pin the best against each other and, you know, squeeze that orange and see what comes out. So like, I try to bring a different outlook to them and I tell them like, listen, I played a long time and I love this game and I'm constantly learning and I learned the most from the pe people that you would probably least expect. So like I go outside the box to learn. So, you know, like whether it's a basketball guy, a football guy, a strength coach, I try to use different things and bring it into, you know, that aspect. Like I always tell kids, I'm like, if you're training in the weight room as a pitcher, you're doing yourself a disservice. Be an athlete. Go try to be in the combine. Like, See how good you meet. Go bench press as much as you humanly possible. Yeah. You'll understand yourself at a completely different level. And I also think that builds up grit and resilience and oh, yeah. super important. So, yeah, there's times where you, you want to help a kid so bad, but you can't want it more than them. But, like, the thing I've started doing now when I meet kids and I talk to them, I'm like, listen, I will give you everything and more that you give me. But I've gotten to the point where, like, if he wants it more than you and he's constantly trying and I know it's genuine, he's going to get more out of me. That's the natural thing. So, like, it's not that I like him more. It's that he wants it more. And I'm telling you now, that's what it takes. Like, come to me and I'll do everything I possibly can to help you succeed. But if you say you want it and the actions aren't, you know, backing up your words – I can't make that happen. As bad as I want it for you, I can't make it. So I just tell them, it's like, take ownership of this right now, or you're going to be on a escalator in life going the wrong direction. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all up to us as individuals to, mm -hmm. like you said, have that genuine want and passion and the desire to be curious enough to, again, keep asking questions, keep putting in the work. And it shows at the end of the day, like you can do only so much as a coach until it gets to a point where it's like they're not learning anything. They don't want to learn anything. It, it wasn't different at a professional level. 
Because as a catcher, you know, you kind of are like an extension of the coaching staff in a sense where you're dealing with all of these, you know, young or old veteran pitchers, you know, whether it's at the major league level or in the minor leagues. Because, again, you were in the minor leagues as a young kid, and then you were also in the minor leagues as an adult after experiencing all that. It's like a full circle moment for you. Like, it, what was it? Is it a different thing? I mean, obviously, it's a different thing dealing with adults as opposed to children when playing the game. You now, teaching them certain things. Because again, at the pro level, you're dealing with all of these different personalities again. Like, how are you? How are you able to not only like again build that connection with the guys, but at the same time keep those um, different types of personalities in check when it came to being a professional ball player? So. I tried to like treat everybody the same and I tried to get to know everybody on the team. And I did that from day one all the way through. And I was taught in college by my uh, head coach, Steve Peterson. Um, He's very rough around the edges. One of the like manliest men I ever met. Um, Very quirky, but very like, convicted and stubborn like he was stuck in his ways and it was old school yeah like when we did blocking practice like i had bloody knees you know like uh we didn't know what was going to happen we never got to block on the field as always in the rocky warning track so like he taught me like be hard work work your tail off and take responsibility for everyone else's problems as a catcher and you're an extension of me and the pitching staff i love that you said that and I heard down the line from Jerry Weinstein, who's kind of become a little bit of a mentor of mine. He said, you're a field facilitator. I thought that was really like cool way to put it. And I used to make fun of him for coming up with that term. Um, but you really are like, you know, directing everything that's on the field. But when you come off, I think, especially in pro ball, they forget that like those guys down there are your lifeline to learn because there's so much more going on in pro ball. And it, it goes from being a game to a business and you can get really sensitive in, in it. And I watched a lot of guys like get sensitive because someone's getting more time, more opportunity, you know, whether they're playing better or not, it didn't matter. Maybe they've drafted higher. So they got all the opportunities, but instead of looking at what can I do and take ownership, maybe or they have two first rounders, which has happened to a kid I mentored. He got drafted in the fifth round, mm-hmm. great player, but he got drafted as a senior kind of a late bloomer. And I told him, I was like, dude, Dan's B. Swanson and their other first rounder from the year before, I'm just saying, they're going to get every opportunity. And obviously, Dansby's taking advantage of that opportunity. Oh, yeah. oh. And I told him, I was like, go play the outfield. Learn how to play first base. I'll give you some catching gear and teach you a little bit about catching so you could possibly help there. Well, he went in spring training early, caught a couple, asked if he could catch a couple of opens. They loved it. Well, he ended up skipping a level after he hit barely 200, and that's what he was going for was hitting, and he ended up being the all-star second baseman in high A. So, like, it, he literally jumped the lead because they needed a guy that could possibly catch a little bit because they wanted their other catcher to be able to DH, and then the second baseman got hurt because he took ground balls at second base and outfield. They sent him straight there when they needed somebody, and then he stuck. And I think he's going to play AAA this year and, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe get in the big leagues, but he opened up his own door. He didn't wait and say, well, I don't get to play and blah, blah. I was like, what, what can you control? Just find that and control it. And the guys that did that seem to have success. The guys that, you know, oh, poor pitiful me and put the blame on everyone else. They just kind of, kind of corroded away in the sand, but I would always be as close as I could. And I know I jump around, but, my coach from Middle Tennessee, Steve Peterson, taught me, he's like, when you're not playing, be on my hip or be on our uh, assistant coach's hip or the pitching coach and be an extension for them. Like, if you see something, tell them. If they don't want to talk to you, try still signs. Do something that's going to benefit you. And, man, like, I'm thinking back, I'm 18 years old and I'm being taught this, and I did that my entire career. Everywhere I went, like I have pictures. My wife uh, over the years took pictures of me with all the coaches. I ended up living with a pitching coach in AAA um, 
our pitching coach, he's like, Hey, you want to live together? I'm like, yeah, dude. And I was like 24 years old living with the 48 year old pitching coach, because that's how close those bonds got because I spent so much time with them because I wanted to help them solve the problems. And then as my career went on and I came back to the minor leagues after a seven year stint, uh, pretty much in the big leagues, a little bit back and forth, I started to enjoy that more. And that's when I realized I probably should walk away from the game because my love was kind of changing and I didn't want to get bitter. Right. I mean, evolving at the end of the day, like you've basically given it everything that you had to offer. And it got to a point where it was like, you knew, like you had that realization. I feel like a lot of people towards the end of their career are kind of like up in limbs where it's like, should I come back on a one-year deal? Should I pursue this? Because again, like at the end of the day, everybody has their own perspective. Like you learned at a young age, like, uh, what you should be, you know, filling your head with in a sense, like you said, like, if you're not playing, like be picking the brains of people that are going to make you better. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good you are. Like you can always learn something from somebody, especially those that you're surrounded with in a dugout or in a clubhouse. And you mentioned, you know, like there are certain players who realize that came to that realization. And then there were people who obviously just were like, I don't need this. Like it's everybody else's fault. Like I'm, not necessarily the greatest player in the world, but I'm good enough. Like that's probably comes from, you know, surrounding yourself again with the wrong people in a sense, like always tell them like, telling you like patting you on your back and stuff. Like how many guys did you play with that? Um, you still think to like this day, just never kind of figured out that realization that like you could always learn more from somebody and they were kind of just like, you know, like stuck in the mud in their own heads in their own worlds in a sense. Way too many. Yeah. Way, way too many. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's sad going all the way back to like, you know, high school, college. You know, watching guys throw great opportunities away because their priorities were in the wrong place, or they said they wanted something but they didn't put any like real worth behind that word that they were like spewing constantly. So they were talking themselves into something that wasn't really true. Right. And you know. I see it more than ever right now. Like it's kind of sad, you know, dealing with like entitlement issues. Um, they've the separation between minor leagues and big leagues. Like you meet more 18 year olds that think they're already Mike Trout and right. Albert Bowles. And I'm exactly. like, where did that come from? Like, that's crazy to me. And like, I couldn't sit on the couch when I was at big league camp. I went to 14 big league camps and like, it took a long time before like I was hanging out at the card table and like wasn't carrying the bags and doing all the things that like you're supposed to do as like a young player and a rookie, I thought. And it wasn't, then it was probably closer to hazing. There's a lot of things they probably couldn't ever do now. Right. But like there is something to be said to when Tori Alba made me carry his bag every single spring training and I had to carry it to the furthest field every really really cool to get to know him that way and he he did it out of a respect at the same time so i think that's how you get to know your teammates and i think now with your smartphone and all the stuff that's around like the actual personalities don't clash together and guys you know fill their own head with you know their own thing their own entitlement whatever and you know, they read about, ooh, ooh, look what they said about me today, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what is this person saying this for? That's not true. Instead of being like, well, why would they say that? Like, okay, let's see, like, where are they coming from? Maybe that is a little something, you know? Like, it's crazy. Because that's a big passion of mine now is, like, pointing into the youth and, whew, it's crazy. It's, oh, yeah. it's a wild time, especially with the pandemic, man. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's tough to, again, kind of – pour that knowledge and connect with players when you have to do it like this, you know, especially like when it first started, I know a lot of collegiate teams at least were having to again, create that culture via zoom. And, you know, it's very hard for 
you know, not necessarily like the people that are again, like in their own heads like that, like, Oh, I'm the best player in the world. I'm Mike Trout at 15 years old. I hit 30 home runs in rec this year or whatever it is, you know, like, because then there's those people who, you know, come to that self-realization that I really got to bust my hump and actually get to work and continue working. If I actually want to have a chance and be fortunate enough to get to the certain level that I want to get to, how important do you think the team aspect um, of that is? Because I know at least, for me, towards the tail end of my high school playing days, like it was all about the scouting. It was all about the individual player. You know, you show up, you play tournaments, and it's all about, you know, the scouts looking at each individual player than it is, you know, the team having a good time and having that 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 uh, that chemistry to build and, and gel together to create that atmosphere that everybody in the long term, whether you're a baseball player or you leave the game of baseball at that level, you, you build that you know, mentality in your head that, you know, like to, to get ahead, you got to put in the work, you got to be kind to people. And at the same time, you have to have that mentality. Like how important do you think it like the team aspect is, and do you utilize that in your coaching? Uh, yes. Um, I was a team first guy through and through. Yeah. Um, so like it was ingrained in me with great coaches, I was very fortunate. Um, one of the best men on the planet that I know, Tommy Farr, my high school coach, and I'm still friends with him to today. He's probably one of the greatest like men in in my life. And like I inspire to be as good as him. As a dad, as a coach, as a human being, like all of it. Yeah. Um, so like it was ingrained in me with just good people. I was like I said, you get a bad coach, it could change everything. You know, just talk about it like the kid that, you know, or a coach that makes fun of you because he doesn't know what to do or how to handle you or whatever. There's so many different aspects to it, but the team mentality is kind of shifted. Right. Um, but like, I'm, I'm a big military buff. I've always been very drawn to it. Even yeah. as a kid, I, I pretty sure my energy could have gone that direction if I didn't have ball. Um, and therefore like I, one of my best friends is, uh, a police officer and a business owner and another good friend of mine, Navy SEAL, and he kind of introduced me to that whole world. I did some of their training with them, cleared rooms, still that stuff. And their team mentality is special. And they get to a point where they like, like I said, they trick themselves into it's almost a brainwashing system when it goes to buds because it's it gets kind of wild. But like there's an aspect of that is like, how can I serve you today? How can I make you better today? Ultimately, it's going to make everyone better. But like too often we worry about, and especially in sports and in today's site, how am I going to get mine? You know, and like, instead of like, how can I make you better? You know, I always think about like, you know, we, right now we're talking about equity and equality and all these things in this world. And I'm just like, why don't we just talk about servability? What if everyone just served? Like the greatest gift in life is giving something to someone it can do nothing for you, but like you giving it to them, right? Yep. So like if, if we did that as a team constantly, so like I tell guys, there are coaches that I've done some consults with over this pandemic. I'm like, Hey, have them reach out to somebody that maybe would appreciate it. Right. Like maybe nursing home, maybe they call a family member, like whatever, just do something of kindness. Right. Have them call a little Lulu. And just talk ball with them. Like the little league girl would be so lit up about it, right? Like just do some fun stuff that's serving someone that can do absolutely nothing for that high school kid or that college kid. Because at the end of the day, that's going to give them some joy. Maybe they don't realize it, but like we talked about earlier, that little seed will be planted. And maybe that will manifest over time. And all of a sudden, hey, you look up and like, remember him? He's got a Fortune 500 uh, company that – you know, gives 40% of their revenue away. How cool is that? Like, I don't know. I'm sure that never happened, but you never know. Like, I think that's how you build a real team, you know, by creating a group of men that are leading each other. Like one of the Navy SEAL Creed, it's one of my favorite lines. I'm a man that, uh, I think it may say man and woman. I don't know what it says now, but like, that's all changing too. I can't keep up. But it's, uh, it says, I'm a, I'm a person that can be led or that can lead or be led in any moment. Yep. I think that's brilliant. And I think if we all kind of walk life like that, I think we'd be in a better place. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, that's becoming like a lesser thing 
in in today's world, especially with kids. Like for me personally, like my age group, like I thought we were horrendous. We were like a horrendous high school class. Like looking at it now, like we were saints compared to some of the, like the high schoolers I see today. Wow, right? um, but it, like, I mean, to your credit, like, yes, like you, you, you don't see that generosity as much anymore, at least genuine generosity. Again, like to your credit, like you see people do nice things, but what's their agenda, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You you don't see people, you know, going out of their way just to be kind. Like you said, like you have nothing to gain from this person, but maybe, just maybe, that'll plant the seed in them to be like, wow, that I'm kind of inspired by that. And then they pay it forward to make the world an overall better place, you know, step by step, person by person. Yeah, I, I think if, like I always say, if you can, like, be a little bit more like Jesus on a daily basis, knowing that you're going to fail, if you're reaching for the stars, you may land on the moon. You know, like, I love that quote because, like, that's the reality we should be living. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of, like, we can't bring people along in life. Like, one of, one of my favorite analogies that I learned as a kid was, like, you know, if you're up on a pedestal and you're trying to pull people up, who do you think's going to fall? It's not going to be the person that's pulling you down, right? <laughs> it's going to be you. You're going to fall down. So, like, don't always try to pick people up, like shout from the rooftops of the pedestal you have. And I, I, I try to tell like college kids, I'm like, if you're at a university and it happens to be Vanderbilt or Tennessee, you have a huge platform, probably bigger than ever before with social media, SEC network, use your platform because your boss may be sitting right next to you. Love on that guy. Serve that guy. Yep. He may be someone you would never talk to because you're too cool for school because you got your full jumpy on and you're in class, right? And all the girls are like, oh, look, he's on the football team. But no, love that guy because one day he may come back and love you when you need it. And yep. if we focus on that and, you know, use our platform for the good, what, I mean, like literally what would the world look like? Networking is giving at the end of the day. It takes a lot of people. It it, it takes a lot of people, a lot of experiences, a lot of life experiences to learn that. But networking is about giving. I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.